This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, Isanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hscc.org. Recently, this old body has been giving me quite a lot of trouble. And um, I've been having a lot of uh, back pain. And I, uh, I finally uh, got an email back from my doctor, which is about all one can expect nowadays. Uh, and among his, his uh, uh, items of advice was um, to avoid uh, long sitting. <laughs> That's pretty cute advice for a... Uh, career Zenist, to avoid long sitting. Um, But apparently that uh, tends to aggravate what I'm experiencing, which is some flavor of uh, sciatic nerve inflammation. Uh, so there are a, a great many things that can go wrong with the uh, human body or, or body-mind. And they tend to accumulate, of course, as one gets older. And um, so it's, it's um, pretty helpful to have a uh, practice which uh, moves in the direction of revealing the body-mind's actual nature. And this makes it um, more difficult, ideally, for us to uh, attach to our impression, our habitual impression of this body, which of course becomes identified with a person. So I, I wondered uh, I don't, I don't know if it was the last talk I gave or anyway, relatively recently, um, I was uh, speaking of how the teaching is uh, conveyed body to body. And I wasn't sure if, if people understood what I meant. Um, expressing it that way could, could be misunderstood. Uh, for instance, does that mean there's a, 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 a secret Zen massage? Well, not as so far as I know.
but uh, as we said, the body-mind uh, reveals itself to be a stream, a, uh, a flow, a current, a flood, if you like. And um, uh, ideally, the teacher is, um, I don't know, has some uh, durable appreciation of that. Not as an item of creed, as I've explained many times, not as a belief, but an experience. And that experience shapes and guides the instruction that happens between so-called teacher and so-called student. such that at times, uh, no, no words are actually necessary. And it seems to me, it took me a very long time before I was, um, I don't know, uh, willing or prepared or something uh, to uh, receive the kind of instruction that was being given. So for many years, I would uh, go to uh, Dokusan with some question prepared. And that usually didn't lead to much discussion. And so I, I, uh, I did that for 13 years with one teacher. And then another, oh, I don't know, uh, another bunch of years with another teacher. And as that time went on, I um, was more and more at ease to uh, go and uh, see my teacher without any special preparation. And over time, more and more that revealed that he and I were uh, meeting uh, somehow in the same place. And at some point that simply became inarguable.
So one sense of the uh, current or currents of the body-mind be becomes a uh, great source of instruction if instruction is what is being sought. Uh, that's why uh, going to see the teacher to, you know, ask about the teaching or maybe present one's, you know, understanding of the moment is so, so important. And um, that's why we have no uh, checklist of things to tell the aspiring student or you know, specific guideposts. All that is to be read in the current. This kind of teaching requires uh, I would say a significant apprenticeship. And apprenticeships of that kind are not to everyone's taste. And I find particularly in the West, our sense of a great and entitled independence, individuality, and so forth, is um, that contributes to some feeling of wanting to go it alone. I mentioned before, uh, uh, teaching a, a class at uh, Tassajara and one of the Tassajara students, oh, I think I was uh, talking about something along these lines as I'm speaking about this morning and one Tassajara student, uh, you know, a uh, uh, wintertime Ango period student was saying that uh, he absolutely was not interested in anything like that. Uh, he was only at Tassajara to have a good environment to pursue his, uh, I don't know, something. Now, he wasn't my student, otherwise I might have suggested he depart from the monastery. But I was quite taken aback by that. But maybe that is what uh, sometimes um, inspires certain people to uh, depart from Zen and seek out a, uh, a more recognizable program. So, okay. 
Nowadays, I just want to be able to bless anyone's path, whatever it is. So I suppose this, um, I don't know, arrangement, if that's what it is, uh, conveys a kind of, um, well, it all sounds kind of mystical, as opposed to practical and specific. And I suppose, maybe that's right. I grew up in a faith tradition that has a, a living mystical tradition of its own, one about which it's somewhat embarrassed, but it is there nonetheless. So I don't know, maybe that left me open to that possibility. I don't know. But I, I was always very struck by Suzuki Roshi's remark. Here's this Japanese Zen priest saying, we're always face to face with God. It took me a long time to appreciate that remark. And just the other day, I was reading about a, um, a 10th century Uh, a resident of Baghdad uh, who was a, um, a Sufi, a Sufi Muslim. And I'm sure all of us have heard that name by now. Uh, and he was, um, well, apparently there's a there's sort of a, um, uh, tend to be kind of two streams in Sufism. And one bunch is very, very uh, kind of uh, austere and sober. And the other bunch is somewhat uh, ecstatic and expressive. And this chap, uh, whose name was uh, Mansur al-Hajj. Mansur al-Hajj was of the um, ecstatic variety. And he engaged in many of their practices, which involves such things as uh, what's known as jikr, which is recitation, which I think should sound familiar to us, um, including uh, the names of God or uh, parts of the Holy Quran. Uh, or the Hadith, the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, blessings and peace upon him. Um, anyway, uh, uh, one day, Uh, Mansour and the gang were 
engaged in their practices. And next thing you know, Mansur runs out in the street. And uh, he runs around saying, um, let me see, uh, Ana al-Haq, Ana al-Haq, which means basically, I am truth. And uh, unfortunately for him, Haq is one of those 99 names of God, well known in Islam. And um, uh, when the powers that were heard of this, they promptly took him and strung him up and killed him. A, uh, a fate that has befallen other prophetic voices, as we know. Um, anyway, Mansour's friends were appalled uh, because um, uh, even though it sounded like he was saying, oh, I am God. That's not at all what he was saying. Uh, he had, um, uh, they said, uh, he, had, he was simply experiencing what they call the fana. Which I think is um, translated as something like annihilation. Um, which means that uh, what they call the, um, the nafs, which is something like the person, uh, uh, is subsumed in a dominant reality. Call it what you will. And uh, that's all he meant. Unfortunately, the uh, people in charge were not of a frame of mind to appreciate that. And uh, even nowadays, there are uh, you know, portions of the Muslim world that are extremely dismissive of the Sufis. But anyway, when I read that, I immediately thought of Suzuki Roshi's remark. Which uh, together with my own experience, such as it is, inclines me to be one of those people who sees um, what is um, universal in human nature and experience. Uh, the, 
overarching or underpinning ontological truth of our experience. Uh, there's a, a fellow I, uh, I uh, follow on um, YouTube, very interesting guy, a, uh, quite, a, quite a scholar. And uh, the other day I was watching one of his videos and uh, uh, he, he, said that he hastened to add that he was not saying that, for instance, the God of the Muslims or the Christians or, or the Jews was the same. And I was a little shocked by that. Uh, because I absolutely say that. Um, uh, paradoxically, this seems to make it very hard for some of us to get along, <laughs> which is kind of bizarre when you think about it. Anyway, our, um, our uh, practice uh, how do I say it turns us, so to speak, towards this uh, this uh, current, this flow this flood which is all there is of the person and the practice of allowing that turn over and over again exposes uh, the meaning of Dogen's famous remark about the falling away body-mind. I think there's still people who believe that he meant that's something that he did. and that others should do too. But I don't think that's at all what he meant. Those uh, four Chinese characters
don't say anything about agency. So I always wondered why do people keep translating it that way? Dogen goes in to see his teacher and they translate it. Oh, I have dropped body and mind. So, well, somebody said. He said the, whatever is the Chinese equivalent of Shinjin Datsuraku. Body, mind, away, fall. And then again, some people translate. Oh, and then Rujing says, oh, you have indeed dropped body and mind. That's not what he said. He said the Chinese equivalent of away, fall, body, mind. Chinese have no pronouns. Exactly. There are no pronouns like pronouns like I did I did such and such. A Japanese does, but Dogen was not speaking Japanese. So there you have it. Translation, as somebody said, is always a political act. So even at the risk of being strung up like poor Mansur al-Hajj, I think uh, we should allow ourselves uh, to be open to things as they are, the reality of this body-mind. Apart from the habitual, I don't know what, little whirlpools and such that make it possible to think uh, that there is a, uh, fixed entity someplace. I can't tell what I'm looking at here at Kedo-san's living room. I'm not sure if that's a flame or a serenity fountain. I know y'all can't see that, but or maybe you can. It's uh, getting larger. It likes what you're saying. No, it's reaching the end of the candle. What it does, uh, for some reason, gets yeah, big. Yeah. <laughs> the end of the candle. Okay. Well, what I'm talking about is sort of like that dancing creature, flickering thing. That's how we are. And um, 
going to see the teacher. Well, at times anyway, is like flickering together. Sitting there in the light, the dancing light of each other. Well, if any of you find yourselves out in the street yelling, I am truth, I promise not to call the police. As long as I I'm clear you know what you're saying. Sometimes people do run out in the street and say, I am God, and they mean it. And they mean, I am God, and you're not. This is a source of numerous problems. There is that phenomenon, uh, what's it called? The Jerusalem syndrome. Uh, people, I don't, I don't know if it's like most, I had this impression, maybe this is wrong, that it's mostly Christians who wind up in Jerusalem. And next thing you know, they're wandering around, floating up and down the streets of the old city, thinking, I must be John the baptizer or something similar. There's a special ward in the hospital for these folks. <laughs> they, they have to, uh, you know, restrain them a bit and give them some medicine before they come down a little bit from that high, which they have misinterpreted, let's put it that way. Personally, I would love to go to the Holy Land and see if that happens. Maybe it would, I don't know, kind of doubted. But anyway, I think, you know, they, they were just dipping their toe into things as they are, as they really are. And they got a little carried away possibly because they had no preparation. The yogic body wasn't quite ready to receive such a uh, powerful insight. Anyway, I guess I may never sit Padmasana again, which is too bad. I didn't, I didn't uh, realize how attached I was to that posture, but now I know. And today, uh, sitting in Zazen, I, uh, I noticed that uh, the body was tending to move more. There were little wobbles in it that weren't present when I was sitting in Padmasana. And also I was starting to do this, which I thought was an old horrible habit I had long since gotten rid of, but apparently not. I, I remember at, uh, I was at, when I was at uh, Zuyoji for that, practice period thing they made us do. Uh, they made us sit in the uh, Nido, the outer hall. But anyway, 
the one of the Junkos, the guy with a stick, was walking around. He came out into our hall, and I'm just sitting there doing zaza, and all of a sudden I really, I feel him push me upright. I had no idea I was tilted over like that. So these were unfortunate habits that Padmasana seemed to banish, but oh well. Fortunately, one can still study reality from any posture. So the, as that old poem says, the teaching of thusness is uh, already intimately transmitted. And that of course is exactly the teaching of body, mind, away, fall. And as the, uh, the late abbot, Esandaine, uh, like to say, now you have it, so keep it well. Are there any questions this morning? Uh, if there are, I think, you, well, I think you can unmute yourselves. Um, Cheryl, our engineer, isn't here this morning, so things are a little bit in disarray. Kato-san, do you have a question? Yeah, no, I just was, I had this image in my head when we talked about the practice of Sotozen and you know, Zazen, working with a teacher, facing a wall, and this image sort of, of turning the light inward in order to reveal the universe. And sometimes when I hear these other paths, even Wato or facing inward, away from the wall, or these other, you know, more prescriptive milestone versions, I sort of have an image of turning the light outward mm. in the world in order to try and reveal reality. Just, I don't know, something that comes to my head. I wonder what you think of that. Well, um, of course, the reality is the same, but um, the perspective differs. So I, I would agree that that's so. And uh, maybe the uh, perspective to which one is drawn is a karmic matter. It could be. The, uh, my introduction to Buddhism was the Theravada path. And uh, I, you know, I wasn't 
at some point fairly soon, I realized I wasn't particularly enamored of that approach. So, I don't know why not, I just wasn't. Yeah, my, first read, my first readings were with the Tibetan process and similar. I then put Buddhism down for a while and then happened upon a Zen center. So that's sort of yeah. changed yeah. things. My second flavor was Vajrayana. And I actually, I really liked that. But at some point I decided it was too scary. So I set that aside too. And not long thereafter, read Three Pillars of Zen, which now I think of was scary, but I, I didn't at the time. And heard- oh, that be my first time too. Huh? That was my first Zen text too, huh? so. I agree. I don't think I care for it as much as I used to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and then I heard that Suzuki Roshi had that Zazen group, a short drive from my boarding school. So that was that. Any other questions or comments? Um, I have a film recommendation, actually. <laughs> um, last night I watched uh, St. Maud, uh, which is maybe why I couldn't sleep last night, but um, <laughs> it's very uh, apropos of this topic, um, getting carried away with divine visions and such. But um, I think you might like it. Thank you. I, um, I saw one reviewer described it as disturbing. Very. Oh, okay. <laughs> but in so, a good way. <laughs> but maybe not good bedtime watching? Probably not. <laughs> All right. Sunday afternoon with tea or a beer, maybe. Thank you. I uh, actually, for some reason, I had this thought that uh, Shindo-san was going to recommend another film, which is uh, not new at all. Uh, some of you may have heard of it. It's called Baraka. Has anybody seen that? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting. And I didn't realize that, uh, I, I don't know if this is true of this film, but that, that um, word exists in Arabic and means something like grace. Isn't it Barack Obama? Barack? B-A-R-A-K-A, -A -A, Baraka. With A. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, quite a fascinating film. Grace. And maybe it's about grace, but I didn't know that until recently. Okay, well, maybe that's enough for now. And um, thank you all for your your patient cultivation of the Buddha way. And just so if any of you are, are feeling anxious, please remember that the teaching of thusness includes all of those lists with the checkboxes, okay? They're all in there.
So do not fret. Thank you very much.